Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Episode of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, along with one of my favorite writers. I read everything he writes, even though it's about the most irrelevant team in professional sports, Rivers McCown, who writes for Football Outsiders and NBC Sports Edge, but also just for fun, also writes about the Texans. Is that why you still do it, Rivers? Um, fun is an interesting way to put that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I have a lot of depressing things that happened to me in my life, but I just try to channel through this, this Texans writing. <laughs> I mean, so uh, serious question though, uh, because you have been, I've been reading your work on the Texans for a very long time and you live in the area and, uh, you have a Houston Oilers helmet behind you, but continuing to write about the Houston Texans when you don't necessarily have to is quite the commitment to the bit considering what's going on with them. See, I guess there are people who say this and people who are like, you know, you, you keep writing bad things about them. Why do you keep writing about them at all? And I guess it's one of those things where it almost feel, makes me feel more like a loser to just keep it inside and like buried than to just share it. And I know I'm not like making buku bucks off writing about the Texans anyway, so it's fine. They can be irrelevant and I can just, you know, piss and moan and we can all move on with our lives, as Nick Casario said. No, I mean, honestly, uh, I, I do read everything you write because you do a tremendous job of sort of capturing everything that's going on there and uh, putting it into a really unique context. So I, I honestly uh, advise people to read your stuff just because it's really good football writing. And that's why I wanted to have you on, not to talk about the Texans and break down whether they're going to have good enough you know, right guard play this year or something to uh, take the next step. No, that's not, that's not what we're going to do. This is a timeline week here on the show rivers. And what I'm doing is talking with a person from a team that's in the middle, a person from the team that's trying to win a championship. And guess what? You get to be the team that's at the bottom, the Houston Texans. And I, but I want to talk Stunning. about, uh, yeah, I know, right. I know. <laughs> hey, you had some years where that wasn't the case, right? Um, but, uh, lately not so much, but I want to talk about, I want to talk about when you get to the bottom and what it feels like there, because I think that the biggest fear that Vikings fans had of potentially ripping their team apart, as opposed to keeping it together is getting stuck in the bottom. And I, I guess I want you to explain if the Texans are going to live in the mud forever and kind of in, in a short summation, how they got there, <laughs> We've only got an hour or so to talk, but you know how they got there and if it's possible for them to get out of the mud. How did they get there? Oh, that's a great, that's a, that's a long, long answer, but let me try to do the short version of it. Um, Bob McNair owned the Texans. Uh, he was the founder from 2002 on. He died um, in 2018. And there's actually like a really long, 
Lamar Miller run that Thursday night that uh, the Texans have been like, this one's for you, Bob, or, or whatever. And, and so anyway, his son takes over Cal McNair. Cal McNair um, hires Jack Easterby. Jack Easterby was a Patriots chaplain, uh, also worked for the Chiefs for a little bit. Um, immediately, it appears that Easterby has some kind of outsized power. They fire Brian Gain, their general manager. Um, and from there, you've got Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby, two people who should not be involved in personnel in any way whatsoever, running personnel. And of course, you've all heard about the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade, but I would argue that the Laramie Tunsil trade was probably just as impactful in destroying the franchise, giving up two first round picks and a second round pick for a guy who, I mean, he's a fine left tackle, uh, a very good pass protector, but never moved the needle in any real way for this team. Um, at that point, they started losing and bleeding talent uh, after the Hopkins trade more and more. Uh, J.J. Watt walked away, the best player in franchise history. And at that point, Deshaun Watson, the uh, at the time, the, the golden boy, the quarterback who uh, was leading this franchise for the rest of his career, we all hoped, um, uh, decided to request a trade. <laughs> and that is... Uh, at that point, Easterby brought in Nick Casario as general manager instead of like having a real search. Uh, they ignored the search firm results that Cal McNair paid for. And uh, now we're just kind of stuck with Easterby and Casario running the show and uh, picking up some guys who have a lot of character. <laughs> and that was one of your, your recent pieces where you were talking about like, oh, we're doing the culture thing uh, now. But it's, there's, a, there's a weird dynamic, though, here because – Everything that I have read from you would lead me to believe that there is no more incompetent franchise, and that even includes the Jacksonville Jaguars, than the Houston Texans at this moment. And yet, you can still see a path to somehow working your way out of this because you're at the bottom. And what I mean is all the draft picks. Like They trade away Deshaun Watson and get an absolute haul back. And now you're going to start drafting. And what we know is that your cat that's walked in front of the Zoom call could draft just as well as most NFL general managers. And so, uh, you know, if you gave uh, if you gave the names out on different bowls of food or something, but it's it's very odd to say that the Texans have now with this Deshaun Watson trade, despite everything that you just said, put themselves in a position that has so often worked in the NFL where you accumulate draft capital and then get your salary cap right eventually and start to build it up and make things happen. You know, people have uh, have tried to play that game with me lately. And, and I understand that there is something to be said for having draft picks and, and all that. I know that the Texans will probably move on from Davis Mills after this year. I think we all kind of see that coming, even if we're rooting for Davis Mills to get better. And he's got a chance. Not a, it's a non-zero chance. But uh, you have four first-round picks to play with to kind of trade up for the quarterback of the future and all that stuff. I get that. Same time, I just watched the Jaguars <laughs> destroy Trevor Lawrence's uh, first season. Like, really, just, just crush it. Um, and you've got guys in charge who have brought in so many veterans that the team simultaneously has no hope for the future and also isn't quite bad enough to get the number one pick. So if you have like a transcendent quarterback, I don't know if they're going to be able to trade up for it either. So I'm kind of like teetering in the middle of this team is doing the right thing with Watson versus this team is what is happening to the rest of this roster. <laughs> 
The well, you know, this is a thing that we've talked about a little bit here is when you bring in veteran players, that means that younger guys who might develop don't get to play. And I get that they want the team to be competitive, uh, but it really has no business being competitive. And to have even like last year, um, to have even won the the four games, like if, if you're planning on building on that, win four, five, six, seven, and then all of a sudden you're talking about having uh, no chance to get Bryce Young or no chance to get C.J. Stroud, who are the guys who could potentially change your franchise, and then you end up stuck in the middle. But I was thinking like there's there's almost no level of incompetent that can't be overcome by a great quarterback. If if you end up with, I, I mean it's I mean right though because. Even the Texans with Deshaun Watson are winning 10 or 11 games. And Cincinnati, Cincinnati is the, the cheapest ownership in existence. And what, do they like not have a scouting staff or something crazy in Cincinnati? And then you get the guy and all of a sudden you're different. Remember when, when we were youths and the New Orleans Saints were the most incompetent franchise in the world? Like they were running out Danny Warfel and trading seven draft picks for a running back and everything else. And then Billy they, Joe, right. And, and then other Billy Joe, right. Billy Joe yes. Tolliver, Billy Joe Homer. Uh, and then they get, you know, Drew Brees eventually and, and everything is just better, even though for so long they had no idea what they were doing. I mean, I think Sean Payton gets, gets a little bit of depth for that too, but, but yeah, I see what you're saying. It's just that, I, I don't know. I think the game has changed a little bit. I think we're, we're, we're getting to a point where franchises are getting smarter for once. And I just watched Deshaun Watson in 2020 have his best season ever and win four games. <laughs> like I, I, I get, I get the the looking on the upside of being down, but uh, also, man, it's it's so hard when your team provides no hope for any free agent to come in, any you know any kind of upgrade that's more than marginal. Like it's, it's, it's really, really a tough spot to be in. Uh, Well, let's talk about this then. Let's say that instead of like some lunatics running the team who don't know what they're doing, what if it was competent people in the position that the Texans were in right now? Like how would you lay out for them on riversmccown.web? Uh, how would you, it's dot com, right? How would you, how would you lay out, how would you lay out for them though? If, it, if you're doing a football outsiders article on here's how my team should actually rebuild. Like what, what do you think that the things that they should do would be? Riversmccown.geocities.com. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think the way that my, my major gripe with the way they've run things is they've just brought in so many veterans and when you are let's be honest when you're when you you're in a position where you should want to tank this is where the Texans are right now uh you should be trading guys like Laramie Tunsil and Brandon Cooks just move on don't care about their culture I don't care what they bring that's great they're good people I have nothing bad to say about them they just don't belong on this team's timeline so they're gone um you sign a undrafted free agent class that's larger than six that would be one of my things and uh uh, you know, you just kind of play the numbers game at this point. You you bring as many guys you think have a chance to camp as you can that are young, that will be on four-year rookie contracts or UDFA contracts, and, and you try to generate value. 
just try to generate value for once in your lives. That's all I got to say. And this team, <laughs> bless them, has no concept what that's about and does not care. <laughs> they don't seem blessed. Uh, they, they do not seem that way. Um, well, I think that that's a, a really good point, though, because there are places around the margins that I think when Kwesi Adafalmensa says something like that, when he's talking about scheme around the margins where they can find, you know, little extra yards here or there, not running on second down and 10 is the most obvious example that I think the Vikings can find it, but maybe, you know, putting more guys in motion, things like that, running an offense that feels a little more modern. Like there's ways of doing that schematically. I think there's even more ways of doing that from getting those edges when it comes to team building and undrafted free agents, which the Vikings had been doing. They had been bringing in big classes of undrafted free agents. Trying to accumulate draft picks by trading down was another thing the Vikings were trying to do, but they traded too far down and then just got bad prospects. <laughs> well, <laughs> just kept getting sevens. But but I, I really feel like if you have people who are sharp in your front office, then you can find ways to just, like you said, get players who might eventually become something. And if you live in reality about who you are and don't, and I am applying this to both of the teams and don't try too hard to compete, like compete for now, compete for next year, make sure there's butts in the seats that you have a much better chance of building for the future than you do to say, Oh, we want to keep Laramie Tunsil because he's a good football player. Like if it were only that simple, then everyone would do it that way. Yeah. I mean, I do think the NFL is becoming about timelines. Now you're seeing this kind of NBAization come in where the Rams just won the title and you know what they did. They traded for, you know, Matthew Stafford, they traded for Von Miller. They were able to buy the goodwill of that. A la some of Tom Brady's earlier work bring in Odell Beckham for nothing. And like, this has kind of become the new meta almost for the, for the NFL. You, you, you try to get as many guys as you can. And if you're not on that timeline, if you're not going, if, if the Texans are not a Matthew Stafford trade away from being, you know, a 10 win team, a 12 win team, then at that point, you got to cut bait on what you do have and try to get there through the draft. And now you're seeing it. You know, we've got teams that have what, like, like eight or nine teams that have two first round picks now. <laughs> and then you've got, you know, teams that have zero. And that's kind of just haves and have nots right now. I think that that's right. I mean, I don't know when exactly it started to change that these organizations viewed it similarly to the NBA, where if you're not first, you're last, like Ricky Bobby style. But that's where the Vikings so much exists in the middle of this where these teams, it's like the seas are parting into, okay, all of you are rebuilding and all of you are trying to compete for a super bowl. And the Vikings are just going like, Oh, well, you know, uh, we're here. We're here. We got uh, games every Sunday and some players that you like and uh, enjoy the show, I guess. And, and that's where I think we've been a little uh, surprised at the non new direction from the Vikings is that it just doesn't seem to be going either one of those ways. And then their general manager says competitive rebuild. And that's why I wanted to talk about the tank teams and your team, because that was another option for the Vikings, which was to take it all apart and decide to rebuild it. But there are people who think, and I, I think it's fair that you can get caught in a Texans type of place. Um, but I but I also think that if you're not the Texans, you shouldn't get caught in that place, right? Like if you're, if you're not the Giants and Dave Gettleman doesn't draft a running back or if you don't trade multiple first-round picks for a left tackle, 
then you don't get caught in that place if you have an idea of what you're doing. I don't know. I, I've this is definitely a lived experience thing for me because I, we the Texans were the middle for a while. The Texans in the Bill O'Brien era were the middle. They were never going to win the Super Bowl unless Deshaun Watson decided to just you know win it on his own somehow. Um, <laughs> they didn't have a great team, um, but at the same time, having lived this life now <laughs> that I've lived, let me tell you, I do have I, I do miss just having simple football conversations about things like, as you brought up earlier, the right guard. Wow, this AJ Can's coming in. He could be better than uh, Max Sharping was last year. That's a sentence that I have not seen written on Texans Twitter at all. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the slightest. Nobody cares. All that ma- all that matters is that AJ Can is George Warhop's boy, and George Warhop is the new offensive line coach. And They've got to be better than the last offensive line coach. And okay, that doesn't change it. The Texans really, it really doesn't. And, and I, I do miss just being able to talk about, you know, you guys have a right guard situation or two, or two that have been bad up in the past couple of years. I, I miss being able to have talks like that uh, about your team where you're like, oh, if they just solved this one thing, everything looks a lot easier. <laughs> That's really funny because so we're here going. Oh man, if they had taken it all apart, that might've been fun. (laughs) I mean, well, I mean, you know how this goes though, when you are in the same place for so long, which the Vikings have been now for four years where they have just run the same thing back and done the same thing with the same people. And it's the same right guard conversation. Like that might sound enticing to you to ask whether Jordan Davis or Wyatt Davis is going to be the right guard. And then maybe Davis will beat out Davis and they'll have a great Davis competition and Davis will rise to the challenge. But at this point, I have covered this team since 2016. They've never had the same right guard two years in a row. And just like, I don't know, what do you want? If you're going to continue to run back the same problems with not fulfilling, you know, the spots on the center, the right guard, the left guard, all these things, and not give Kirk Cousins enough protection and not go all in on the offense and keep the older players on huge contracts and add void years. It's like and any one of these conversations, if we stay in the same spot for too long, all becomes Please give me something different. And I battle against this all the time, Rivers, of like, is it just because I want to talk about something different or is it right? And I think in the Vikings case, it would have been right. And even in the Texans case, it could have been right to take it apart from where you were in the middle and rebuild it. It's just that it happened in such a gross and disturbing way. It's just (laughs) that you lost the 25-year-old franchise quarterback for no reason. That's all. <laughs> Other than that, though, it was great. Everybody was happy. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I guess to your point, um, like there's really is a narrative cycle with these teams, and I think you being in Minnesota, a city that has a lot of fans that have been there for a long time, it's an established fan base. I think that's a different place than Houston because you can you can kind of do that in Minnesota and. You know, you can take a year or two and fix it up a little bit, uh, change direction, uh, embrace youth or, or, or whatever. You don't have to tear down to the studs. In Houston, you can't really do that. This team, <laughs> this team's been here since 2002. It had immense support, but their narrative arc just kind of stagnated. 
and stagnated and stagnated and people were like, why isn't this team going anywhere? And now that everything's gone, I mean, you can see in the stands, there are, there were maybe 5,000, 10,000 people there at some games last year. It was a disaster. And uh, I don't think that <laughs> a team that has more competent ownership would go there. Maybe I don't know how you feel about the Wolves vis a vis Cal McNair, but uh, I, I do know that it can go really, really wrong if you're in the wrong city. Well, the Wolf conversation has gone all over the place, um, even just over the last year, because at first it was they're completely hands off, and that's how we understood it. And then it was maybe they should actually be paying attention more because it's turning into a bleep show. And <laughs> then it seems like they have decided to pull, uh, you know, kind of take a hold of the reins of what they wanted. And then their Vikings former GM is dropping hints that they were really telling him what to do all along. And so we've never really been able to figure this out. And of course, no owner is going to come out and say, Oh no, actually, yeah, I was telling them to resign Kirk cousins. Like they all, they're <laughs> not going to, not going to do that. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that, and that's a, that's, that is the trickiest part maybe of any of these teams is that every single team, except for the Packers, whose owners have little slips of paper is, very much at the whims of some crazy rich guy or two crazy rich guys. And whether they really understand the right way to go with the franchise is, you know, I guess up to whatever team. It's really interesting. And this is, this is I won't even talk about the Texans. It's been interesting to watch Jaguars fans beg for uh, Shad Khan to be more involved for a long time. And then all of a sudden Shad Khan uh, actually gets involved in this coaching search hires a Meyer and then comes back <laughs> and, and uh, keeps Trent Baalke for the entire process and blows up a Brian Leftwich combo because of it. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I say this about Kyle McNair all the time as, as, you know, partially I believe this partially, this is just, you know, fan defense, whatever. Um, you know, if you can have one trait about your owner, that you want, it's that he writes big checks and he stays out of things. And that's what Cal McNair usually does for the most part. It's just that he's hired two people who are utterly incompetent to do their jobs. And that's, <laughs> it's, it's not something that you can overcome when you're hands off. You know, the Vikings are sort of in a different spot where they write big checks and it seems that they hired very smart people and then they're not letting them do everything they wanted to do. At least that's how it feels. And trying to parse through, did they not accept this particular trade for Daniil Hunter, or Kirk Cousins, or Adam Thielen because they couldn't get the go-ahead or because they didn't feel like they could get value has become a tricky conversation that I don't know how to exactly put my finger on. Uh, but that that's where... When, you, when you're talking about whether you're rebuilding or not, like let's say, let's like throw out the incompetent people out of the Texans conversation. And when you compare these two teams and you're talking about a team that tried to look into Deshaun Watson and then they tried to trade Kirk Cousins and they landed on, let's just sort of stick with it and see if we can coach them up. That is, if you're throwing out the Jack Easterby part, not better than having all the draft picks and being where you're at with a roster that you can completely mold in your view. Now, the guys who are molding it have my, maybe no idea what they're doing in Houston. But if it's someone who's 
competent and good. It's just hard for me to argue that the Vikings are in a better spot than that. I don't know. I kind of see the Viking. I, I kind of see Kirk Cousins, I put it this way, as as a Matt Schaub kind of guy. I don't mean that as he's uh, necessarily bad. I just think you got to build that perfect box around him. And teams will always talk themselves to talk into building that perfect box around somebody like that because it's their best option. It's the same thing the Raiders are going to stuck with Derek Carr. It's, it's not that Derek Carr is a bad quarterback. He's just not elite, elite, elite. And that's the difference between him and Josh Allen is the difference between winning 13 games and winning 10 or, or nine. So I get where you're coming from for sure. Um, but <laughs> I think that the draft picks in and of themselves are also not a golden ticket. I mean, the Texans have the number three pick right now. It's one of the worst drafts of my life, uh, as far as me paying attention to football anyway, uh, up there with the Eric Fisher draft. And uh, there are about two guys who I'm really excited about picking at number three. And the, the rest of it, you know, just trade down and keep keep moving up till next year. So uh, I don't know. It's it's fun to have the picks for sure. It's fun to talk about these young players. It's it's an optimistic side of uh, football Twitter that I haven't been a part of for a long time because of Laramie Dunzel. Um, so so that's fun. But but at the same time, I also recognize just because you draft these guys doesn't mean anything's changing. That I think is one of the hard parts for Vikings fans when they hear about a rebuild in any fashion is that exact thing is that when you draft players and you try to build it around draft picks, you have to hit on them and there's no way around it. And I think this is the factor that makes football so tough to pin down when we look for the different ways to how do you, you know, how do you get to the top? How do you get over the top? How do you rebuild your team is that it so often just rests on did, did you land Patrick Mahomes in, in the draft? Did you just end up getting silly, dumb, lucky like the Vikings and draft, you know, Stefan Diggs, Daniel Hunter, Eric Hendricks in one draft. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're a great team a couple of years later because you've just gotten this all-star team in one single draft, which rarely happens, but every once in a while it does for somebody. And that's why we'll never really figure it out. As we talk about, well, we should do this. They should do that. You'll never really pin it down because even the worst teams can land great draft picks and even the best teams can completely miss. Well, as, as, as I was mentioning earlier with the kind of meta shift, I think another part of that is also there are a lot of teams, again, not in places like Minnesota. You got the Rams uh, who just moved to LA a couple of years ago. You've got the Chargers who much the same. You've got teams like Tampa who, as soon as Tom Brady retires, are just nothing again. Um, I think there's uh, there's something to be said about your relevancy in a city at this point. I think that's also part of the whole trading, acquiring good players momentum conversation. And I, I know that's weird to use momentum in that context, but it almost does feel like there is momentum to it. Um, players want to play with good players. That's that's kind of how it goes. Um, so you have you have a team that's still relevant. You don't have uh, a team where, like if the Vikings traded Kirk Cousins, you know, ran out their version of Marcus Mariota this year. Well, cool. We're going to talk about the Timberwolves. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Twins. We're going to talk about Carlos Correa. <laughs> like that's that's kind of the situation you you embody, you you embolden, I guess. And there's something to be said for not doing that. The Vikings, too, I think you make um, a strong argument that in this city with this established 
cities with this established fan base that there isn't a situation where Vikings fans will turn their back on the Minnesota Vikings. And that's why it really felt like this was the right time to strike. And I'm not saying pull a Texans as in any of the other stuff, but in terms of accumulating as much draft capital as you could and hit the reset button on the franchise, because people will absolutely still be coming to the stadium to see something that's fresh and something that they're being told is eventually going to turn into a winning franchise. And I I think that there's, it's an intelligent enough fan base for the most part. I mean, you're always going to have nuts, but that can see the future can see what this is supposed to mean. And here's my evidence. People sell out preseason games. So that's based entirely on just showing up to see football and believing that the players you're seeing will eventually become something. And if you were coming to see Marcus Mariota and a group of all young players, draft picks, undrafted free agents, players who they were developing, and you know, you still got Justin Jefferson to make it fun. That is more enticing, I think, than showing up. And this is just based on the last couple of years where, I mean, last year they're, they're booing this team pretty often. I think it's more enticing than setting the bar at we should be a winner because we made all the moves to be a winner and then coming short of that. Like, it's amazing how expectations really shape everything and how we view these teams. Folks, the hockey and basketball teams here in town are headed down the stretch toward the playoffs, and you can get yourself ready by going to sodastick.com and use the code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off all Minnesota sports-inspired goods. That's sodastick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off. Right, and I think as I was talking about momentum, and you brought up Justin Jefferson. This is this is also you know a, a part of a grander argument for towards keeping things together. Uh, when you get rid of someone like Kirk Cousins, you don't actually know if Justin Jefferson's going to be like, oh, great, I'm so happy to play Marcus Mariota. I don't want to trade at all. You like you don't know if that's going to happen or if you know you might have your own Deshaun Watson situation all of a sudden. And uh, obviously not with. <laughs> <laughs> not with the terrible parts but right, but yeah right. but but yeah it's it's one of those things now where kind of the momentum of the players matters a lot and you know we're getting into player empowerment uh watson has a gigantic guaranteed contract uh cousins has his gigantic guaranteed contract like this is this is an era now where these guys really do mean a lot and they need to be on the same page as your front office and I mean, if if your choice is, if I trade Kirk Cousins or lose Justin Jefferson, does that change your tone at all? Well, of, of course. I don't think that that has to be the case, but yeah. of course. And then this is based on, not. I'm not saying that Justin Jefferson doesn't like Kirk Cousins. I think Justin Jefferson just wants to win. Uh, and now uh, explain to him they have to take a step back for a year is tough. That's why the Mariota thing always made sense to me because Mariota could still throw you the ball. Like Larry Fitzgerald still ended up with a hundred and whatever catches when Ryan Lindley's throwing him the ball or John Skelton. If you could do a little better than that, you could still get the, <laughs> you could still get the guy's numbers for a year. Um, but, but it is, it is actually a major factor though, of trying to look at the pieces that you have and the important players that you have. And how do you tell them that, okay, we have to take this step back this year and we have to get rid of all this talent, but you should still be fine with it because you're getting paid in an era where players do force their way out pretty often. I think that to your point, 
Jefferson has made that conversation much more complicated than it would be if they had drafted Jalen Rager. Then the, the, there would almost <laughs> yeah. be no, there would be like no discussion. It would be like, well, right. sorry guys, but it's time to rip it down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jalen Rager. I've, I've, I've watched you play for two years and it's over. <laughs> That's not going to work. That Jalen Rager thing is not going to work. <laughs> well, let me let me ask one more thing, and then I have just a, a little Texans uh, trivia for you because you know you have to uh, every time you come on do a little Texans trivia. But um, do you think fundamentally that teams that end up at the bottom that that is the that it is a wrong way to go to rip a team apart and try to go all the way to the bottom because of the possibility you could get stuck in that spot or do you look at it as the texans are in a bad position because of who they are but this would be right otherwise if they had been forced to move to sean watson i mean they were never forced to move to sean watson but, oh, right 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 but, right but situationally i think it is to think about it for sure i don't think th- this would this if ownership leadership and tech and for the texans were more aware of how they needed to make things work here um of what they're in danger of doing i i don't think it would be quite as bad now i think this it's it, it makes sense for some teams for sure um just in this one <laughs> this one situation it's created a a black hole of football content where nothing you can't see anything happen for you know gosh i have people talk tell me about 2024 right now and and i'm like Maybe it's 2025. You don't even know. <laughs> like This could be bad for a long, long time. Let me tell you how that's not that different. I mean, in a way, when you're in the middle, you're talking about how can you get to the next step? But if you don't win this year and then everyone's a year older, and then do you draft the quarterback the next year when your quarterback is 34 years old, 35 years old? And, oh, is it going to be 2024 where they have to rip it down if they don't win a Super Bowl in the next two years, right? I mean, this is just fundamentally a thing that um, because right before we went on, we were like comparing whose situation was worse with the Vikings and the Texans. And it's fundamentally a thing that if they win eight or nine games the next two seasons, it's just, in my mind, not better than four. It, it, it's it's much worse to win eight games the next two years than to win four games a season for the next two years because of the, the league is set up to benefit you. And, and and it's not different in terms of the results. Like they don't give you a little placard that says like, oh, here's your little championship for winning eight as opposed to four. Like, oh, you beat one third of the league for wins. Yay. Like they, they don't do that. And I think that, that that's where Vikings fans have gotten to the end of their rope with this is the it's we're just not even better than the jets or texans it's it it makes no difference whether you've won four or eight i think the discourse on that is interesting because we live in a society where everything is about the championship Mm -hmm. 31 teams go home pissed off every year and i i guess what i would say to that is what the rams did this year i think was successful even if they didn't win the championship. I think if the Rams made, if the Rams had given up that comeback to the Buccaneers, people would have been like, oh, well, they traded all this, uh, didn't work. Well, okay, but they became relevant in their city again. And I think that has a big draw. They have, you know, a future to look forward to with that. And I think kind of the way the Vikings are doing it is interesting because they don't really pick a lane. They're not, they're not, they're also not going in, 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 in. 
they aren't trading for their versions of, of Odell Beckham or whatever. They're just kind of, okay, well, let's, let's, let's stack up cousins again and see what happens. And we know what's going to happen. That's a part that has been tough because I thought that there was a chance they might do that, that they might move all this money around and trade for star players and say, no, we thought we were this close and we're going to go crazy. And I think that would have been really fun for everyone that just bringing back back the same stuff minus free agents who left like Sheldon Richardson and Anthony Barr and Patrick Peterson at this moment. Um, that's, that's not really like, at least it doesn't even get people juiced up in March. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And we're, like, and we're, and we're trained as, as sports fans, especially by the salary cap to be like, Oh, I don't know about this investment long-term. Well, okay. Look, the salary cap is made up. This is, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying that, it doesn't matter at all because obviously you have teams that have to cut players or get rid of players that are like their, you know, seventh favorite or eighth favorite guy. I, I get that. It matters to some extent, but I mean, it's not my money and most of these contracts go away in two years anyway. So I don't care. I don't, I, I don't really care about how uh, efficient it is. And of course, Nick Casario is the general manager of my football team and, uh, he does care a lot and I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. It, it does. It does. Here's a, here's how I, I look at it with the salary cap. Anything you want to do right now can be done. You can yeah. charge that credit card right now and buy that Ferrari if you want to. And later when that bill comes, it might hurt you a lot and you might have to sell your house. And that's, that's how I look at it. Uh, you may have gotten yourself in such massive debt. And that's that's what happened with the Vikings with, you know, keeping all of their players in 2018, 2019 and the Kirk contract. But had they decided that they wanted to add crazy talent or star talent to this Vikings roster, they could have figured out a way to do it. Instead, yeah. they've gone with, and, and I have no problem with signing Harrison Phillips, but like they've gone with Harrison Phillips, Jordan Hicks, Jordan Davis, the right guard. They've decided to sort of, do a thing that the Texans were doing with like, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I forget some of the, <laughs> oh, the senseless oh no. free please, agents, but there's please, so many please, of them. Please tell me which Texans, you know, uh, this is my favorite game. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to try to do that, but, um, <laughs> who was the lineman for the, for the Seahawks that they signed and they gave him like more money than anyone else ever would have. Was that, um, Brit? Is that Justin his name? Britt? Justin yeah. Britt. Yeah. yeah. Like players like that. But that's what that, I mean, how is that, how is that super different from Jordan Hicks? Like, it's just we, a guy. We've got one. We've got, we've one. got one. One text and got one. Is, uh, is David Johnson still there? <laughs> no, he's a free agent. He oh, well, good for him. Good for him. Back. You never know about that David Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, now that, I mean, that's a trivia night question that no one's going to get. Who plays for the Texans? But they did sign a bunch of players to these small contracts and paid him a little bit more than the next team would and said, Hey, you can actually play for our football team. And um, I, I don't think that like the Vikings should be doing that with guys where it's like, Oh, this guy has kind of a name Zadarius Smith, but it, it was a couple of years ago that he was great. Or it's, you know, you know, I mean uh, the, the Jordan Davis thing where he's definitely a starter, but is he a good one? I don't know. Like this, these aren't things that get people excited. And so I, I could have bought into a whole argument that we're trying to get people as excited as possible. We're trading for somebody crazy, Tyreek Hill. I don't know, trading for somebody crazy. And we're going to have the number one offense, everyone. And it's going to be nuts. 
And that's not what they did either. And so I think that's the part that has everybody sort of like, oh, and that's what okay. that's what the Dolphins did. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's what the Dolphins did. Now they've got the team where we're like, oh, well, I don't know if I believe in Tua, but hey, it could work. And it's it does look wild on the field and on paper, obviously. Yeah, no, I get it. And uh, I would just say, generally speaking, that you shouldn't model anything that you do after the Houston Texans. Just just don't do it. <laughs> your, your team can think better than this. That I think uh, is true. And, you know, I wanted you to talk about this because I knew how cynical you would be about the tanking thing. And I knew that you would push back against all of my, <laughs> Hey, the Vikings should. And I'm not, I've never said tank. I just mean like completely actually do rebuilding things. Okay. Before I let you go uh, at rivers, McCown, by the way, is your Twitter. If anyone wants to follow you there and read your work, cause it's good. Uh, and if you forget his name, just think, what would a journeyman quarterback be named? Oh, rivers McCown. Um, here's what I want from you. I want you to name me. There are six running backs in Texans history that have more rushing yards than Deshaun Watson. I want you to name me those six running backs, Rivers. Oh, boy. Okay, well, start with the easy ones. Arian Foster. Correct. Um, Dominic Davis. Dominic Davis-Williams. Oh, He's named Dominic Davis Williams. Oh, that's yeah. right. He was Dominic Davis on the original 2003. Uh, what is it? Uh, Madden. Yeah. When did that change? Uh, I believe he changed it after his playing career. It's been very weird because you post, I post the clips because I've been doing an Andre Johnson uh, Hall of Fame research piece and I've been posting like 03, 04, 05 stuff that just pops up and he's always Dominic Davis and it's very weird now. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, well, I, I pulled this up and saw Dominic Williams and I was like, I have no recollection of someone named Dominic Williams, but also it's the Texans. So I don't know, but I do remember Dominic Davis anyway. Okay. Well, you're two for two. Okay. This is where it's going to go downhill a little bit though. Um, ooh, Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller is number three. That's correct. Um, Steve Slayton. Steve Slayton is number six. So uh, yep, that's right. Ron Dane. Ron Dane is a phenomenal guess, but no, Deshaun no. Watson had more rushing yards than Ron Dane. Ron Dane. Let me tell you about Ron Dane real quick. When uh, that draft was happening with Ron Dane, when he got picked by the Giants, of course, I knew nothing about the draft. This was, you know, way back when. And I remember creating Ron Dane on the previous year's Madden and making him like <laughs> 99 break tackle. It's just like 99 strength. I thought the guy was going to be just like this mega star in the NFL and uh, he had a career, at least, Ron Dane. College hey, legend. Beat, the only reason the Texans beat the Colts for the first time was Ron Dane. Christmas was, Eve, uh, 2004, I think. How long did Ron Dane play? This is what everyone is hoping for. From 2000 to 2007. I mean, that's a running back career, yeah. at least. Uh, uh, he had uh, a career high for the Texans of 17 receptions and 773 yards. He was never the Heisman guy, but he was always a decent NFL running back. Yeah, it's not bad. Okay, so uh, two more. Oh, um, at this point, I'm, I'm running on fumes. You're gonna uh, find out. Well, let's let's think about um, one of them was let's say colorful. Color. Are, are you are you tell, are you telling me that Alfred Blue is on this list? Alfred Blue, yes. <laughs> I hate Bill O'Brien so much for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man all of my worst nightmares are just watching alfred blue play and then playing that stupid uh will ferrell clip that's like you're my boy blue and they oh, just went like boy. all in on that for like three solid years and i hated every minute of it tough tough <laughs> uh 3.6 yards per carry for his career alfred blue i'm and, sure he's uh, a very nice guy i just hated watching him play <laughs> and one more 
We'll say he's a uh, has been. Has been. Ooh. No. No, no nothing. Okay. Uh, ben Tate is the other one. Ben Tate? Really? Yeah. He got hurt so often. I'm surprised that he's on this list. David Johnson, if you were all wondering how that trade worked out, uh, not on the list. 12th all time in Texans rushing. You hate to see it. Uh, you've 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 hated to see it for two years. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's my trivia question for you. OK. Without looking this up, without being on David Johnson's page at all. OK. How long was his longest run? In 2021. Oh, uh, let's see. Well, then then the answer has to be short. I'm going to say that his longest run was 22 yards. His longest run was 15 yards. <laughs> <laughs> 15 yards. Let me look at this. <laughs> 3.4 yards a carry, 228 yards in 13 games played. He didn't, well, have a, he, didn't have, he didn't have a single 100-yard game all season, which means he has two for his entire Texans career in two years. 32 catches, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, and a lot a of, long the... of 16. The longest catch he had was 16 yards. You would think that you'd do this by accident, like someone would fall down trying to tackle you and you'd get 20. This is this is a a, a Larry Centers esque player at this point. That's right. Larry Centers, man. Early in Larry Centers career, he could uh, he could be a little more explosive. But the old Larry Centers, I mean, he was just catching those little swing passes out of the backfield and racking up a hundred receptions. Uh, amazing stuff. Rivers always great. To yes. Great. Great. great to talk about David Johnson again. <laughs> great to talk about David Johnson again. And this is, this is the thing about every time we talk, you just seem so pained. <laughs> I'm shit. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> we've only, we've only got one life to live. And I just thought that using it on the Texans was the dumbest thing I could do. So I just went in, went in on it. <laughs> Someday, someday we're gonna do this, and you're gonna you're gonna be a happy man. Mm. You... <laughs> I don't know, maybe because of something outside of football, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll have to pick another team that wins sometime uh, to talk about. But uh, no, you're working football outsiders in NBC Sports Edge, just terrific. And uh, I have always enjoyed following you, and I appreciate you being the the anti tank uh, uh, angle to our timeline week, mostly. So good stuff man yeah good 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 luck with that thanks thanks for having me on and uh i hope it works out better than i think it will uh and thank you all for listening to rivers mccown is a sad man we'll talk to you next time